Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello and welcome to the Camera Podcast, Pubs, Pints, People, where we chat about beer, cider, pubs and much, much more. My name is Ant Fiorillo and I'm joined as ever by my fellow hosts, Katie Wiles and Matt Bundy. Hello both. Hello. Hello, hello. (laughs) How's everybody been this week? Well, I've got a cold and uh, I know exactly (laughs) what it's from. It's from standing outside, sitting outside in beer gardens when it's definitely too cold to do so. Uh, I I think there should be a special medical condition. Beer garden nose, I'm going to call it. It's meant to be really hot everywhere. I forgot you're in Cornwall. Ah. Yeah, so there's lots of lovely beer gardens, but I've been sitting out resolutely in a t-shirt supporting our local pubs. You know, that's, it's my sacrifice for the industry out there. It's just my little way of giving back. How about you, Katie? Are you you feeling all right? Yeah, it's been super busy since we last spoke because we're launching the first virtual Great British Beer Festival next month. (laughs) It's taking place from the 11th to the 13th of September and we're going to have loads of live tastings throughout the weekend and some pre-recorded content and Q&As with hop farms, maltzers, brewers, cider producers and much, much more. So that should be very exciting. I love that term, maltzers. I mean, surely with Mr. Trips you call them maltesers. Isn't that the the one to call? Do we get some backstage passes or something, Katie? You know, is that all right? Yeah, I think we will. We've been invited to host some of the Q&As with those leading producers and brewers in the industry. So if you're a fan of the podcast, get your tickets to tune in and you can hear us chat with people, which would be fun as always. It's £46 a ticket and that comes with 11 beers and of course your souvenir glass. I mean, what a thing to get a souvenir glass in the in this virtual GBBF. You have no idea how many people really want their souvenir glass and have yeah. written to us being like, I cannot have a gap in my collection. <laughs> Where is the 2020 glass? I mean, it sounds fantastic. So you can sign up by visiting virtual.gbbf.org.uk. That's the website with all the info on there. And I just think it's fantastic that the festival is going to take place in some form. You know, we found a way to make it happen because it's a big part of the calendar, isn't it? A lot of people really look forward to it. As you say, you've got to get your glass. Obviously, I think we'd rather be at Olympia doing it, wouldn't we? But Yeah, yeah it's really bittersweet. Uh, you know, it's always an incredibly fun and beery week. But, you know, we're not the only ones who are feeling the sting of COVID at the moment. And today we're going to be chatting all about live music and pubs. And we'll find out how the music industry has also been just as affected during this very very strange time absolutely i mean lockdown's been so difficult for everyone within the pubs and beer industry but we're also going to see how many restrictions are still in place for live music and actually the pivotal role that pubs play as a grassroots music venue for a lot of up-and-coming musicians 
Now, we know this might open up a can of worms. You know, we often like to get into the big debates about pubs on the podcast. And, you know, some people do prefer a quiet pub. But for many, having live music is an integral part of what they love about their local. I'm definitely a fan of live music. I think it really adds to the atmosphere of a pub. Who knows? You could actually be watching the next top charter or discovering a new favourite. I mean, what about you guys? Do you seek out music in pubs? Yeah, interesting one. So I like, as you as you say, I love the atmosphere live music can create. I don't mind a live act in a pub if I know that there's one on. I don't like uh, stumbling across one, and I, I like to kind of plan to go and see, see an, an act and enjoy myself. The only ones I don't like are the ones that you know play at like seven thousand decibels and and just think like they're they're playing Wembley or something. It's like just 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 know your surroundings <laughs> and and play to your audience rather than trying to do Freddie Mercury and, and Radio Gaga. I like to know that I'm going to see the live music you know and kind of going there you know preparing myself that instead of going into a chat with my mates I'm going to be listening to the music dedicated to it I don't like the kind of different background noise but I think the main thing I love is that when you do find a pub with a regular act that always plays I always love those they kind of almost got a house band Mm. Uh, you know they're kind of in the groove I love when they have their kind of you can feel they've got their regular pints perched on the amps you know (laughs) all by the stage taking a sip between songs you know they know exactly what songs fit the venue and I remember I had a really unusual find I was actually in Solcombe near down this way uh, where I am at the moment and there was a a group of golden oldies they were singing sea shanties thought that was fantastic you know you know you get a really you know kind of perfect fit to the to the surroundings and they'd obviously been doing it there for for decades and there was a, a picture of them when they were young men behind the bar and now they were with white big white beards uh, so i i just love the fact it felt like you could be centuries ago you know in a kind of pirate cove and you'd be doing the same thing i thought it was great some massive artists that have been in the charts now and previously who cut their teeth in bars and pubs so we're going to hear a bit more about what's going on in the sector as we sit down with Bev Wittrick from the Music Venue Trust and so without further ado let's hand over to Katie for that chat. Learn and discover. I'm just sitting down with Bev Wittrick who works at the Music Venue Trust. Bev can you tell us what that is? The Music Venue Trust is a UK registered charity which was created in 2014 to protect, secure and improve the grassroots music venues of the UK. Our definition of a grassroots music venue is a building that has its main focus on the music and uses other activity in order to enable that. So sometimes they are pubs where the pubs are run by people who love music and organize a lot of their activity around that and the selling of food and alcohol and all that other stuff enables the music. Now, obviously, that's not always the case. So we do also have a definition of a grassroots music pub where the being the pub is the primary focus. And that's, you know, the community bringing together space that's about socializing, eating, drinking. And they also value music, but it's not right at the center of what they do. There are kind of a couple of differences in that because the main focus of our work are dedicated music venues. Mm. But in some parts of the UK, the dedicated music venue is a pub. I can understand that actually. I used to live in St Albans and the harp does live music every single night yeah. pretty much. So that's a very different example from pub bringing in a live music evening once a month. Absolutely. And particularly in rural communities, it's very unlikely there's a dedicated building for grassroots music. So in those communities, it's usually a pub or maybe an arts centre mm. that fulfil those activities. So 
we do have definitions, but there's flexibility within the definitions because one size really doesn't fit all across the UK. Do you have an idea of how many pubs do offer live music or music led? I don't have figures on that. What's really interesting is that because Music Venue Trust run the Music Venues Alliance, which has always been a free to join organisation of venues that value music, we've had a fast increasing number of members come towards us, quite a lot of whom would be classed as a business model as being a pub. And we currently are approaching 850 members of the Music Venues Alliance, which is across Scotland, Wales, Northern Ireland and England now. So some of them are absolutely pubs who love music and some of them are other business models. Do you think that this has been declining or increasing over the last years or has it kind of stayed stagnant? I think we all know that there's been a decline in both pubs and grassroots music venues. So I guess you'd have to say that the overall number has been declining. But of course, what's been happening is that in order to try and retain these spaces, people are becoming very focused on what it is that their communities want and need. And so I guess what we've seen is pubs that maybe did a little music, maybe deciding to focus more on that and work more on their nurturing of local talent, which is is where pubs are absolutely essential. I mean, most of the artists whose talents are nurtured in a dedicated grassroots music venue will have first played in a small pub. Why do you think pubs are well suited as music venues? It's partly where they are, because one of the important parts of our lobbying work over the last few years has been really to explain why grassroots music venues are so fundamental to the UK. And the point is that pubs or other small venues are not just in the major cities. And I have this real nightmare vision of the UK where a lot of the time the cultural focus is on the wonderful hubs for culture that we get in cities such as Glasgow or Cardiff or Belfast, London, Manchester. But the point is that you don't just dream of being a musician or love music if you happen to be born in a city. You could be you could grow up somewhere really rural mm. and still aspire to be a musician and without the local pub that that really loves music and helps promote that or, you know, in your nearest town, a grassroots music venue that has an open mic night, you might never have the opportunity to do something about that dream. So I really do believe that these community focused buildings are essential to keep developing the musical talent that's been so prevalent for so many generations in the UK and made as an international force for music. Musicians may move to a city when they hit a certain point of development, but if they don't see live music, experience live music, or believe that they could do it on a local level first, they might not gravitate towards those hubs where more support for a career might develop. Do you know of any bands or artists that have actually been discovered in a pub? Most of the sort of singer-songwriters from recent years will list you the pubs that they would have played in in the past. And actually, we, we talk an awful lot about Ed Sheeran because he genuinely did start off playing 
just him and his guitar in pubs and then he graduated to dedicated music venues and then obviously now plays in stadia he was incredibly hardworking, very tenacious but he did really really go up that venue ladder from the sort of venue where he was asked to go stand in a corner and play through to places that are more set up with a stage and a sound engineer you know on as he honed his craft through to where he is now and Adele as well I mean Adele absolutely played pubs and small venues it's a story we hear again and again and it's actually why so many artists are really passionate about supporting the grassroots music venues because Mm. they will all say without these small venues these local gems how do people get a start how do they find out if it's for them you know you can't possibly go straight from your bedroom to playing an arena it just doesn't work because however talented you are there is stagecraft to learn and there's how to connect with people Mm -hmm. and most artists will go through the stage of playing to you know a handful of people and a dog before they start to build a following that handful of people will quite often be gathered in a pub obviously the current situation with the lockdown has been incredibly impactful across the pubs industry and at the moment pubs are being discouraged from having live music and anything where people can raise their voice what's your take on everything that's been going on in recent months it's incredibly challenging i mean what we're saying quite a lot is that the government guidance is that basically everything that grassroots music venues are designed to do is considered dangerous so singing is dangerous dancing is dangerous gathering together in small spaces is dangerous (laughs) these are the very definitions of what grassroots music venues do you know it's it's all about the coming together and the the sharing of an energy and an experience and sadly we're just not at the stage where that's considered safe activity so although some pubs are reopening and some of our venues are considering whether to open a few of them have but some more of them are considering whether to open just as a bar because obviously you're not allowed to do the entertainment at the moment but it's really hard for an organization or a business whose whole focus has been for such a long time on the music to be told you can't do music. What do you think will be the fate of these businesses and how long do you think these restrictions can be in place before we really start to see them close down? Well, the restrictions is something that nobody knows. And what Music Venue Trust's job has been recently is just to try and dampen down the conjecture and the Chinese whispers and just to say, look, we are actually in the room. We're in the the government working groups. We are participating in the discussions about performance, about health and safety. I mean, what what we've said is no music venue wants to open before it's safe to do so. Mm -hmm. So obviously we're very prepared to follow public health guidance because it would be fatal for a venue to open when it was told it's not safe to and then something terrible to happen there but the other thing that we've been doing as representatives of these venues is we've been data gathering since early March and putting the case very strongly about the financial support that our sector needs in order to sustain so that it can come back when it's safe to do so. The artists that are kind of out there at the moment who would normally be trying to perform in music venues to get their name out there, are they starting to turn to digital options or is there something else that's kind of replacing the music venues for the short period? Creative people are naturally agile and you know will try different things and obviously a huge number of people have tried the streaming from home and there are a huge number of discussions about 
potential for you know filming live music that can be streamed what i will say from the artists that i've spoken to is on the whole they don't particularly enjoy it they need to do things because obviously if you're an artist you need to perform you need to be creating and sharing that you know that is who you are Mm -hmm. but it's not very rewarding performing to a screen I've spoken to artists who are desperately missing hearing the applause, feeding, feeling that energy coming back at them. That live music is so special because it's not a one-way activity. It's not just the artist doing something for the audience. Most artists absolutely feed back from an audience and it's a shared communion of an experience. The, the psychological benefits of the shared experience of live music have been well documented and I think although a lot of people are embracing alternatives because we don't want no music I do think that people are very much understanding that these interim measures are really that you know they give us something but they don't give us the things we really love the idea of streaming to people's homes obviously is amazing for people who aren't really able to leave their homes. And yes. I do think there will be a certain continuation of digital-based culture mm. that perhaps is giving access to people who didn't have it before. But it's not a replacement. It's an addition to what we already had. Yeah, Certainly eye-opening in that respect. And hopefully in the future, we'll be able to have both side by side. That's the ideal, isn't it? If we can learn some positive things from this, then obviously that's good. But I think the other thing it's doing is is really crystallising what it is we value about some of the things we previously did. Learn and discover. Do you know, it's so great to hear there are people out there fighting for the future of music venues and music in pubs. It really wouldn't be the same without it, would it? It's a really interesting point she makes about how you don't just dream about being a musician if you grow up in a city where there are lots of big venues and places to actually start practising in. For those people who live in rural areas or different parts of the country, having that local pub can have a huge role to play in bringing them to the forefront and getting their kind of foot on the ladder. Definitely. I mean, in South Cumbria, where I grew up, you know, there's no massive theatres or big music venues there so much. But so the pubs was where there was a really thriving music scene. And I used to enjoy watching my mates, you know, they're kind of living their dream, playing the small stages in pubs, (laughs) thinking they're going to make it. I mean, none of them quite made it like Ed Sheeran and Adele, (laughs) uh, as just mentioned. But I think it's good to remind ourselves that they started out in pubs too. Well, I mean, I've got a quick message for Ed and Adele. If both of you are listening, (laughs) because we know you are, you know, Adele is a massive camera drinker you know she is but um if you fancy coming on to the show to talk about it just hit us up <laughs> i've already tried ed sheeran because apparently he built a pub in his house <laughs> during lockdown yeah. but yeah he didn't respond to me i'm trying not to take a personal <laughs> <laughs> the one for the cast finder app wouldn't it and the what pub app to, to try and yeah. get into that one <laughs> i mean it's not really surprising though is it that lockdown has had such an impact on the grassroots music industry there's so many similarities between music venues and traditional pubs yeah. just basically being incompatible with what's considered safe in this strange new world that we're in Even 
even the very essence of a pub is the bar setting and making friends with strangers and mingling and that's totally what we're not supposed to be doing right now and it's yeah, very similar to what's going really on music venues point. i mean when i was up in the north the other week there was a live act on in in the pub and you know the later the night got on the more that the team were desperately trying to get everybody just to maintain their distance and try not to throw their arms around each other and get lost in the music which is very difficult to do after you've had a few beers especially when the music's really good so we've, we've kind of got to tread very carefully with it haven't we yeah, I was reading about some test gigs that they were doing at some bigger music venues and the rules they said that they had for the audience members and also for the acts were just as long as your arm and included not ask, asking the audience not to sing along. You know, that's a really difficult thing to kind of say, like, you know, come in and enjoy it, but just kind of nod along quietly. Because um, you know, I guess singing could expand things to the air and things, it's just difficult. But it's just, you can't tell you that with the communal experience that you'd have with music in pubs, you know, mm. the classic kind of, you know, seeing something, everybody getting involved. And I know that some places are beginning to have outdoor performances. It's the same with comedy now. There's a few outdoor stages that are setting up or just playing instruments rather than just singing because that makes a difference. And, and mm. even some places there are some buskers that are being allowed to set up in big cities. But I believe there was something in Camden Market where uh, for the first time buskers have kind of been allowed to come back over the weekend. I think it, it's, it's starting to improve, but it's just so limiting, isn't it? Now, Bev did talk about the move to digital, didn't she? And how we can give some access to performances, even though it can can't replace the energy of a live audience in person and I suppose that's the trick really isn't to try and master is, is those online gigs and gigs with restricted audiences they're just not commercially viable are they no there's just not enough people in there who are kind of paying and also drinking enough that's going to make it pay back it's a really tricky situation but uh, I mean I'm sure some of our listeners might be wondering how they can help and the Music Venue Trust has actually been running a campaign throughout lockdown called Save Our Venues to help raise money uh, to save over 400 grassroots venues actually and you can check out their dedicated website which is at saveourvenues.co.uk to find out more. And similarly, Camera is still continuing to campaign to support pubs through this very unprecedented situation with easing of restrictions or in some places not easing and bringing them back. We actually conducted a survey last week which found that 42% of people are visiting the pub less often than they did before lockdown. Mind you, this was a survey of pub goers and camera members. So these are the people who actually go out and seek pubs themselves, which makes it even more stark of a warning. And it found that nearly a quarter of those people hadn't returned to the pub at all. So we're calling on the Prime Minister to reduce beer duty on beer that's served on tap in pubs to try and boost jobs and keep those pubs open and trading. And there's so much that needs to be done really to keep those venues supported during this time. Absolutely. I mean, if you want to find out about the camera campaigns, as always, visit our website but on the social media pages. The main thing that you can do to help is to join us if you haven't joined already. And it's just £26.50 a year and you can join at camera.org.uk. Now, it's time for our second interview, which features our Adam, our Adam from up north, talking to Martin Purdy from the modern folk band Harp and the Monkey for a special inside story of what it's like playing the UK's pub music scene. Desert Island Beer. I'm here with Martin Purdy from the award-winning Harp and a Monkey to talk to us a little bit about what it's like to play in pubs. There are many roles that pubs play in, in our culture, in our society. They're not just about people going in to drink beer. They have a community role, bringing people together, but they also have a cultural role. There's huge numbers of musicians whose careers effectively sort of start in pubs. It's where they 
cut the teeth, so to speak. So they're, they're very kind of important early link in the chain. You know, when you're first starting out, live music venues, you know, they don't know who you are, whether you're any good. Pubs are far more likely to give you a chance to actually sort of set up in the corner and, and play, and you, you improve as a result of that. Great testing grounds pubs for material and for bands to sort of find their feet and find their stage presence, find which songs or what type of material goes down well, what doesn't. And your music is quite intimate and quite literary. How did you find it when you were starting with playing in pubs that weren't necessarily giving you the the full attention? You have to find a way of accepting that things aren't always going to go your way and that then you have to find ways of kind of not being sidetracked by that and draw within your own sort of circle and still find something pleasurable within that to project out. Because the number of times we played at places and thought, God, no one's listening. And then at the end of it or at the end of some song or what have you, you know, someone comes up and says... God, that was absolutely brilliant. Have you got a CD? And you're thinking that no one's listening. I also think that what was really important for us, a lesson for that, was that we very quickly developed a set that worked in intimate settings where there was a paid, seated audience, and we developed a set of songs that worked that was perhaps more upbeat and the foot-tapping-in-your-face sort of set. For those kind of audiences that you're talking about in a pub where perhaps they've, you know, they'd come primarily to drink and chat and you were in the background. And as a result of that, the set that we kind of developed for that type of audience was the same sort of set that then worked when we started playing at festivals. And we were lower down the bill at festivals and no one had heard of us. And again, you're playing to a kind of quite an indifferent audience in a way and very, very useful to us. And when you first started, did you have a regular folk night that you used to go to? We had a residency. We had a, a residency at the old Station Hotel in Ashton-under-Lyne. One of those big old Victorian sort of pubs was on the old railway line, which had long since been replaced by a bypass. We had a little residency in there, at, you know, once a week at the weekend. We used to go down and play in the Station Hotel and... I think the first time we went down there, we only had about five or six songs and we just, we played those five or six songs and had a break and went and did the same five or six again, (laughs) gradually built it up. It was such an important part of our journey, you know, because we're a working band. I mean, people who work within the folk genre tend to be part of that troubadour tradition where, you know, you are working musicians and we make the bulk of our income through playing concerts and how did things pick up from there? Did you start getting more and more kind of non-pub gigs, as it were? We're a modern folk act. We do a lot of traditional folk songs from the British Isles, and particularly from the northwest of England, where we're from, but we do them in a more modern style. So we do have, as the name suggests, we do have a harp. We don't have a monkey. There's a long tail behind that. You know, we have harps, banjo, viola accordions all of that sort of stuff but we also have bits of electronica and some of the traditional folk clubs were very wary of us because as soon as you start bringing sort of anything that's non-acoustic into the into the mix some of them don't like that we're too folk though having said that for kind of indie venues or anything like the conventional sort of starters live music circuit that kind of grows up around cities like manchester where you know we're in greater manchester 
So what we actually did, which is how our paths sort of crossed with camera, let's actually get proactive and go off the normal trail. Where do people gather who are the sort of people who might like what we're doing? And we thought, well, what about camera? So we approached some camera groups and that's how we ended up playing for a number of camera events as well because what we were doing was was good. It was interesting. You know, you start getting some more press. You start getting some shows at, you know, at little festivals and that puts you in front of bigger audiences. But, you know, quite an organic process, really. A few years ago now, f- through some work that we were doing with the Arts Council, because we do quite a few projects as well, because we do a lot of history-related stuff, we came across a scheme called Rural Touring, which is where the Arts Council pays you to go and play in village halls, community centres out in the sticks. We've built up a really great circuit of those sort of venues, and they're great audiences. They sit there and they, they listen, you know, and... It's a good night. So, I mean, we've built it through a lot of, of playing, really. We're, you know, as, as a live act, we're a good live act. And how important do you think it is, not just for the music industry, but for the pubs itself that continue being pubs where, where bands can play? A pub, it's a very different vibe, isn't it? A pub that has live music. It changes the atmosphere in many different ways. It's, it's like a pub that has someone just with an acoustic guitar, a singer-songwriter, doing, you know, something that's not too intrusive, where you can still go and chat and it's not deafening you, but you can engage with it. It creates a certain type of ambience. At the moment, that's, you know, live music in venues, whether that be a pub or theatre or what have you, is not on the horizon whatsoever. And I do think that what pubs can be doing in the build-up to that is working at, right, let's let's really work on our social media outreach. Do you have a favourite pub playing as a performer or just a, a favourite pub to drink in? And uh, do you have a favourite beer? I live in a place called Ramsbottom. It's one of those old mill towns that was on its knees, really, and then the East Lancashire Railway got opened up and came all along the Rossendale Valley, and with it brought a new type of clientele into the valley. I've lived here for just over 20 years, even in the last 10 years. It's, it's absolutely unbelievable, the transformation in our community. And now we've got loads, little bars, and we've got the Irwell Brewery in the town as well, who obviously brew all their own ales. They have a little sort of pub with live music on top of the brewery, which is in the centre of the town. So uh, that's kind of somewhere that I'm, I'm known to sort of frequent. I'm a bit of a sucker for pale ale. I like a pale ale and I like Timothy Taylor. I'll tell you where's, where I like as well. Speaking of the East Lancashire Railway, the sort of head of the, the line, the main station is in Bury. They've got a pub on the platform. What a fabulous way to sort of waste a couple of hours on a... Saturday afternoon or what have you, sat, sat outside watching the steam trains and stuff come into the station. We are quite spoilt for choice, really, for, for, for decent places to go. Just to finish off, is there anything you'd like to, to plug? We had just... We'd made our fourth album at the end of last year called The Victorians, and as it sort of says on the tin, basically we'd, we'd taken a lot of old Victorian work, parlour, street, folk agricultural songs and done what we do with them which is kind of rework them for 21st century years and we just started a big spring and summer tour 
and we were only four dates into it you know we were put into lockdown so that was pulled so i mean it would be wonderful if people wanted to visit our website at harpandamonkey.com and uh, or our facebook page again harpandamonkey on facebook and perhaps have a listen to some of the stuff that we do and if you like it please think about supporting us because we have no other sort of obvious means of income at the moment with the music at all i listened to uh, the victorians last night and I, I can confirm it's it's really really good and I, I do think if you've got any preconceptions about what folk music is then just just have a listen Desert Island Beer. I love the passion that Martin has there for live music in pubs. You know, it's just fantastic to hear what the bands get from a thriving pub music circuit. Never mind just a, you know, a, a form of earning a living. It's all the enjoyment that they get from seeing audiences in different pubs across the country. I tell you, what, as a pun fan. I've got to love the name Harper Monkey, his, his story behind that, where he says they've got a heart but no monkey, and there's a boom, boom, long tail behind that. <laughs> long, long tail, long tail, love it. I mean, that, that is top. That is top. So just for that, for that pun alone, never mind. I, I'll, I'm going to give the music a try. I'm going to give it a listen right after this. It made me want to go out and just watch a live act. You know what I mean? Just and just enjoy a drink and yeah. a good old good old toe tap along with it martin talking about performing at camera events there too like that didn't realize how much of an impact camera have actually had on some artists yeah i like that our festivals are considered off the beaten path a little bit but you know you do get to hear some great stuff at many of the festivals and some of those bigger ones even have proper stages set up for it don't they yeah, I mean, we always have some great bands playing at the Great British Beer Festival at Olympia in London, and we've got over 200 local festivals around the country, and every single one of them invites local live bands to the event to play, and it shows really what an impact beer festivals have on the local areas, not just for camera members, but many local businesses and aspiring musicians as well, so I really can't wait for them to start back up. Me too. I think it's important that we hear from the musician's perspective because we've heard a lot about from the the people who run pubs mm. their perspective, but hearing about the people who are you know one of those subsidiary industries that relies on it and just understanding how difficult it can it can be for them as well. And um, I think one thing that was really interesting is talking about when people are not paying full attention to the band. Yeah because I've often felt a bit guilty of that you know if you they're kind of playing a bit in the background to give some ambience but you're not exactly turning around you know nodding along so mm. you're just you're, you're kind of chatting away and enjoying what the band's giving so it's really interesting that they talk about adapting their set to match that I think what's really important for the bands and, I, and I've worked with bands before in, in previous jobs the powers in that set list you know playing in a pub it's daunting enough knowing that your audience is going to at some point be very inebriated and see if therefore going to play along to that when it gets a little bit rowdy but I think if you accept that for that first first hour or so you're gonna be a little bit more ambient while everybody gets a few drinks in them if you're then then starting to ramp it up you can guarantee that the night's going to end in an absolute frenzy it's another point that people probably don't consider is just how much thought goes into the kind of music that band's going to offer during the course of that evening i did also love the bonus desert island beer question where we got martin's favorite pub in there as well as the beers and it's really good to have another vote for the classic timmy taylor's landlord coming up from someone outside the brewing industry this time as well i think we're gonna to have to start a scoreboard <laughs> yeah like yeah like a leadership a leaderboard i love that <laughs> you know you mentioned earlier you don't like it when recorded music is too loud in a pub well it seems that there were some like-minded camera members right with you although i'm talking about july 1983 <laughs> by the way and you did refer to yourself being a bit of an old man those were your words not mine by the way <laughs> 
And they proposed setting up a group called Damn It. It is a great little acronym, Drinkers Against Mindless Music in Taverns. I'm right onto this. I, th- I think the the fact that they use the word tavern instead of pub just to make it fit into a, a nice word in the acronym, that's right <laughs> up my street. Wonderful. The article from What's Brewing we're looking at is actually from a musician who suggests that the group should be focused on banning live recorded music in pubs or the noise of jukeboxes and fruit machines, but support live acts, which should be loud and proud, it says. So he suggests that we change the name to Damn Knit, Drinkers Against the Mindless Noise and tavern or even better armpit against recorded music pollution in taverns oh my goodness <laughs> me so much, too much time on their hands we just love an acronym <laughs> yeah well, if you have the Apple Committee decided, I thought that was good. They're kind of the secret agency, but, yeah. but Armpit, Armpit is the best by. Uh, that I mean, what a treat! I, I feel like what I might do is I might. I feel like I need to re- try and reform that group. I mean, better. Maybe they still exist. Maybe there's like a kind of a, I, a still a hardcore group of Armpit members. I'm gonna going. I'm gonna put out a disclaimer to say that I'm I don't believe that an Armpit group for camera was ever created. <laughs> And if it is, it should stay buried in the 1980s and we won't talk about it again. If any of our listeners there are secret members of Armpit, please get in touch. The, the Twitter is at Pubs Pints People. If you're a, a member of any other acronym-based secret society... Damn it. Damn I, I it. Mean, I can only yeah. imagine this, the kind of handshake you do as part of the Armpit membership. You know? Oh, Just, God. You know, cause you've, got the, you've got the Masonic handshake, haven't you? You know, you're, you know if you're a Mason because it's a certain handshake. I wonder what the Armpit one is. You... I'm just wondering if we need to turn on the explicit one warning for this next episode because of these acronyms i think on that armpit note it is time for us to move swiftly on out of the archive and into last last orders right then what drinks have we been enjoying this week I've been currently working my way through a porter mixed out case from Beerhawk and I've really enjoyed an Anchor Porter. We actually talked about Anchor Brewery a few episodes back when looking at American brews and it's just like this very strong, dark, rich stout from America. It's so good. I'd highly nice. recommend. What about you, Ant? Well, I've had a real treat this week because I met up with my good friend Tony, I mentioned him before. Uh, I popped <laughs> round to his house for a few relaxed ones, but actually what happened was an impromptu beer tasting session uh, of some lip-smackingly delicious beer. So I've got I've to do two mentions this week because I simply couldn't decide which was best. Although both beers are from the same place and they're from the Garden Brewery and they're made over in Croatia. And these beers were from what they call their experimental series and the first of which is their Milkshake IPA which has got this real creamy oh, mango passion fruit, I love a milkshake IPA <laughs> vanilla vibe you know, it's, uh, you know, but at 6.2% it can easily catch you out as well yeah, so yeah. delicious that, that, would, that would bring all the boys to the yard as well <laughs> mate so, I mean, my milkshake IPA does bring all the boys to the yard Matt and the second one uh, which is definitely one up your street Wazi is the Imperial Coconut and Rum Stout oh now, stop this and my... you're having some good beers this I week know. I'm to- very to- impressed Tony pulled out the stops this week for me. Uh, and this one has got this real gorgeous spiced rum running through it. But be warned, 8.9%. It was the last beer oh. we had that afternoon. Yeah, I, I, I had to walk <laughs> home after that one and have a lie down. Well, I say I'm in Cornwall, there's loads of fantastic breweries down here. And I'm actually, I went to a but that's quite near Sharps Brewery, which uh, is in Rock. 
yeah. uh, and I very much enjoyed their Atlantic Pale Ale. Oh yeah, uh, looking out to the sea in a pub garden. It felt like the perfect combination of place and drink. Very good. Well, we have had some more of you tweeting to us, and our old mate Shawnee O'Mahony has been <laughs> managing that Twitter feed for us and has sent us some of your submissions for us to share. So Tom Stainer was listening to our Belgian beer episode and is wishing he had an Icelandic to go with his bread and cheese. There they are. There we are. He's our uh, chief exec undercover as a normal <laughs> I <love> listener. <laughs> I love that. I love that. Uh, James Med came in and he said that he counts the time when he was in Brussels where the beer museum is basically a pub with an assortment of chairs that didn't really match and uh, he said it, you know, it was a nice, strong, invited while drunk vibe thing going on down there. Send us your tweets, send us your pickies. What have we got to look forward to next week, Katie? We're going to be learning about the brewers who partner with different charities on collaborative beers that raise money for much needed causes. We'll be speaking with Watling Street Beer, which created a special brew to raise money for Bart's charity, as well as Brew Gooder, who do so much for the charitable sector. And then Matt, Ant and I are going to take a little break and we we're are. going to have a end of season, month off, get some content going, and then we'll start back up again right after the virtual GBBF next month. And I'll tell you what, I need to have some time to go and find some new quotes. Um, I'm <laughs> at the bottom of the barrel. Yeah, but but I've, I've actually got a good one this week to end us on, which is, I think this might be the manifesto for my relaunched armpit group, arguing for pub goers to be free to talk in pubs uh, without the jangle of machines. Uh, and so it's very appropriately, it's from uh, James S.A. Corey's science fiction novel, Cibola Burn. And it reads... And what is civilization if it isn't people talking to each other over a beer? Cheers to that, eh? Cheers! Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. How does a free case of beer sound? Yes, you can grab a case for free courtesy of our pals at Beer52 by going to www.beer52.com forward slash people. That's the numbers 52 in the 52 and covering the meagre postage cost of £5.95. And what's more, as a special offer for our listeners, they'll throw in two extra beers for free. So that's 10 unique craft beers. Beer52 is actually the biggest beer club in the world. Each month, they send their members a case of beer from a different part of the world, and this month it's an absolute belter. Their great European road trip case takes in the best beers from across the continent. So try a crisp, refreshing Pilsner from Norway's Lervig Brewery and a monster 7.5 double IPA from Sweden's Derges Brewery. On the dark side this month, there's a smooth stout from Copenhagen's Tool. There's also beer from Croatia... Poland, Germany, Serbia and Austria, among others. And if dark beer's not your thing, you can choose the light-only case. Also included is the ever-insightful Ferment magazine and a couple of tasty snacks. And even if, after all that, you're still unsatisfied, you can simply pause or cancel at any time. 
So head over to www.beer52, that's the numbers 5 and 2, dot com forward slash people to claim your free case of 10 beers now.